in the beginning, sometimes I left messages in the woods. This is the opening line of uh, What Happened, the new tell-all memoir slash uh, recounting of the election and the 2016 election and uh, everything that's happened since by uh, presidential candidate Hillary Clinton came out earlier in the week. Uh, it's called What Happened? And here at Good Smell Flannel, we've had a chance to sit down with the book and really get into it, figure it out. And um, it's a very, it's an interesting book. It's very hard to describe. Um, it's written in these kind of short sentences that are often, you know, totally unrelated to each other, seemingly unrelated one to the next. Uh, in kind of a stream of consciousness style. Uh, she's constantly interjecting with anecdotes and memories, uh, self-editing and correcting herself, um, remembering and misremembering the events of the past. And the, and the plot of the book sort of unfolds through this, uh, through this kind of rambling, disjointed monologue. Um, we come to find that it's been uh, somewhere around a decade since the election, since the 2016 election. Um, it's impossible to really know for sure. Um, and uh, as far as she knows, Hillary is the last living person on the planet. Uh, she is the she's the only uh, remaining person on Earth. And um, it's difficult to know if this is factual, if she's relating events um, as they actually occurred, or if this is all kind of uh, in the head of the unreliable narrator, uh, Hillary. And um, and no, it never really gets into. It's unclear what the what kind of horrible tragedy befell humanity and left uh, Hillary Clinton as the sole living person wandering the Earth's surface uh, interminably. But um, as we'll find out, that's not really the point. So like I said, all this, all this narrative of, uh, of Hillary's life since the election um, kind of comes to us interlaced with these countless little bits of trivia Anecdotes about uh, uh, writers and poets and figures from antiquity. Uh, Helen of Troy, Antigone, uh, Lena Dunham. Uh, painters and artists. There's one, one particular um, passage that starts off with uh, Rembrandt remembering how uh, Rembrandt students would trick him by painting uh, realistic coins on the ground of his studio. And then she's trying to remember if uh, Rembrandt and Spinoza, the philosopher Spinoza, uh, if they had lived in the same city at the same time and speculating on whether or not they knew each other. And then she, she inter interrupts this to uh, correct herself earlier when she said that she knew uh, German writers like Nietzsche or Goethe um, when 
she had to correct herself in her mind herself that she only uh, only had read quotes by them she had not actually uh, read their works and anyway she wishes that young people today would Goethe the Poles and and this is a joke that it is repeated uh, four or five times throughout the books 350 pages she seemed um awfully proud of that one um there's another another passage where um she's talking about uh the french person uh guy de maupassant um remembering how he would uh, eat his lunch uh, at the eiffel tower under the eiffel tower because it was the only place in paris where he would not have to look at the eiffel tower and then um she remembers that this reminds her um the Niles on Fraser used to do the same thing, uh, except with the Space Needle. And then that she remembers the, the episode where Niles got the bird stuck on his head. And, and for some reason, this reminds her of uh, Jimmy Buffett. And she recounts the night that Jimmy Buffett played a private concert for her and her friends, and Paul McCartney and John Bon Jovi laughed together under the moonlight and and how Henry Kissinger danced with Lena Dunham's beloved dog Lammy to the sounds of cheeseburger in paradise. So there are a lot of these really fascinating little uh, bits of history in between illuminating these uh, parts of Hillary's life since the election. Um, she talks about uh, her crazy period, she calls it, when she was living in the in the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, burning the paintings to stay warm. Or another, another very uh, moving passage in the book, talking about how she uh, finally traveled across the Midwest, finally made it to the Midwest, uh, Switching from abandoned car to abandoned car, you know, driving, driving each car until it run out of gas, and then uh, finding another one. How she would drive away from the sun in the morning, and then towards the sun in the afternoon, and uh, and in this manner, finally made it to Ohio, and Michigan, and Wisconsin. And of course, the terrible irony that we're faced with is that by the time she made it. Uh, there were no voters left to campaign to. They're all gone now, and she finally prompts prompts her to ask herself, you know, uh, what was the point? And it's these moments like this, moments of self-reflection, seem so poignant now, uh, now that the entire uh, population of the planet has been exterminated. And then as we near the end of the book, uh, things turn darker. Hillary uh, travels to her, to her own uh, million dollar home in, in Chappaqua, New York. And she's walking around the floors and she is overcome with all the memories, all the, all the years she spent with uh, her husband, William Clinton and their daughter and uh, grandchildren and all the family and all the all the memories and 
she's just so overcome with emotion and memory that she she can't take it and she burns the house to the ground and then she walks next door to her other million dollar house in Trapico, New York and similarly she's overcome with emotion and burns the house down and then travels to uh, her third million dollar home uh, in Washington DC and finds to her great dismay that uh, it's already burned down somehow through unrelated reasons so she can't do it and finally we're left with an image of uh, Hillary's traveled uh, to the former uh, the governor's mansion in Arkansas it's getting cold winter's closing in uh, she's not she's not sure she has another one in her she's not sure she's gonna we're not sure she's gonna last this winter and she's thinking back on her life you know thinking about what's really important all the people who still deserve revenge but never will never get it and all the all the banks that she was never able to give speeches to and all the pieces of gum that she had to put in her own mouth and carry in her own, own pocket and all the slaves that she never owned. And um, oh, how Guy de Montpassant, how he, he died insane, uh, crawling on the floor and eating his own feces. And how Nietzsche wept at the sight of a horse being beaten. And how Lamy finally died insane, crawling on the floor and eating his own feces and Hillary's remembering all this and pondering all this and wondering why she's still persisting why she's going on at all for a country that doesn't deserve her for voters that didn't want her and that's the end so it's kind of a, ends on kind of a bleak note a little dark uh, the book as a whole uh, for me the the biggest twist that I found was um was actually on the on the cover of the book where it describes it as a nonfiction which kind of leaves us as readers uh, asking ourselves you know what did happen what is happening how how long has it been since the 2016 election has it only been less than a year has it has it been a decade are we all dead is hillary clinton the only living survivor of humanity and the rest of us are trapped in some kind of hell world or limbo or jacob's ladder style fever dream in the mind of a dying civilization as our reality slowly collapses around us is that what's happening? Because, uh, I don't know. That might explain a few things. Anyway, I give the, the book gets, um, 
Oh, it gets five stars. It's five out of five stars. All the stars. 100% for the book. Uh, it's A+. Plus, and that's what happened. And it's on Schuster and Schuster. And it's out last Tuesday. And you can get a copy today. Just uh, PayPal $60 to me. And I'll get one your way. And now it's, uh, it's time for the podcast. the comedy show and uh, my name's Steve and I'm the guy on it who says the things on it and you're listening and oh there's so much going on uh, in the news today and the current events there's so much going on and we're gonna get into all of it but first I gotta say I'm kind of pissed off I'm in a bad mood. I'm kind of pissed off, and here's why. Uh, I'm gonna tell you because uh, my best friend uh, Kyle, my best my best bud Kyle, I was over at his house today uh, at Kyle's house, who I who I thought was my best friend. I was under the impression uh, that we were best friends forever, and we tell each other everything and I tell stuff to him that I never tell anyone and we're best friends forever but um I was over at his house earlier today I was at Kyle's house because we were uh, we were plasticizing these fish these fish we caught we were um, uh, plasticizing them you know, body world style. Uh, these beautiful, these beautiful bass that we caught. We were uh, filling their internal organs and internal body systems um, with plastic, hard plastic, and then dissolving the rest of the body around the fish so we could like mount them on the wall. But it'd be just the circulatory system. Or like just the just the basses, nervous system and lymph nodes, or whatever, whatever, whatever we wanted. We had a lot of we had a good we had a lot of these beautiful bass. Me and Kyle did, and we were plasticizing them, and um, then I get up uh, to use the facilities. And I'm stunned. I say, what the heck, Kyle? I'm stunned. I see this photograph on your wall. You and your brothers and sisters as, a, as little kids. What the f- 
What the heck, Kyle? You never told me you grew up in the Old West. You, uh, you never thought to mention to your, your best buddy, Steve, that you grew up in the Old West? Don't try to deny it. Don't try to talk your way out of this one, Kyle. I can tell it's legit by the sepia tone of the photograph. You and your brothers and sisters are all cowboy-style Old West people. So I just got up and left his house, and I don't think I'm being unreasonable here. Like hell, I thought we told each other everything. I told him about the time my bathing suit came off on that water slide when I was 11. Something I've never told anyone. But you never thought to tell me that you grew up in an old west town that's apparently cool with giving firearms to little kids. An old west town that's apparently uh, pretty loose with like the age range for bordello performers. Kyle's older sister, who looks like she's about nine in this photo, uh, apparently some kind of bordello performer. She's got a garter on and everything and a gun and uh, I know things were different back then. Hopefully she's just like a bartender or something. Kyle's younger brother, Trey, he's in diapers and uh, he's the sheriff of this town. I don't know what kind of old west town they're running. They just give any toddler and diapers a badge. Making the sheriff. You never thought to bring this up to me, Kyle? I thought you grew up in uh, central Florida. So anyway, I walked out of there, and I guess now I have to hang all these, uh, have to hang all these mounted bass up on my walls with all their body parts, uh, like some kind of idiot or something. Screw you, Kyle, and uh, that's that bit. It's over. That's the end of it, and now in lighter news and more positive news, um, I'm happy to announce exclusively here for Good Smell Flannel, the podcast, September the day it is 2017 exclusively happy to announce to everyone that I have a brand new sexual orientation very excited to announce that I've got a new one I got a all new for 2017 sexual orientation say 
Sayonara to heterosexuality. Sorry, ladies. Because we're getting rid of that one, and guess what? Papa's got a brand new sexual orientation, and here's what it is. I'm happy to announce that now I'm a sapiosexual. That's right. I'm a sapiosexual, and here's what it is. Sapiosexual is a new thing that the kids are doing these days where... Here's what it is. I have it and I am it. Um, sapiosexual means I am attracted to intelligence. I am sexually and romantically attracted to intelligence, turned on by it. Mmm, that's what gets me going. And here's how I found out. Um, the other day I was at the zoo. And I was checking out this, uh, this frisky little otter. Sleek little otter swimming around in his tank. And, uh, he was diving down to the bottom of the tank and picking up these oysters, scooping up all these oysters, bringing them back up to the surface. And I'm watching him, thinking to myself, there's no way he's going to be able to get into those things. They're hard as rocks. Those things are hard as rocks. And he gives me this like devious kind of gaze at me with this glint in his eye looking right at me. And I realized that this otter is not just oysters. He also picked up this flat stone from the bottom of the tank and he's taking these oysters and he's bashing them on the stone. He's taking these oysters and he's gripping them in his rough paws and bringing them down with great force on the stone and making eye contact with me. This devilish, devious, ingenious look in his eye and it was then I knew I felt this stirring deep inside of me and I could I could feel it growing and blossoming inside of me and I could tell that as he as this otter was scooping out the the innards of the oyster and letting them slide down his warm gullet, wiping his paws gently on his handsome whiskers. I, I felt it then, I knew that he was not just plucking the, the oysters out of their shells, but in, indeed he was plucking out my new sexuality, my new sapiosexual identity plucking it out, cold and pale and glistening from its barnacled hull, letting it slide past his firm, masculine lips into the warm belly of 
my new proud sapiosexual identity and I could feel myself growing and blossoming and engorging there in the sunlight and um, uh, that's when the security guard told me I had to leave I guess my uh, my, my physical response to this uh, this brazen display of of fierce intelligence that the otter was doing was kind of uh, kind of obvious to you know the the families around and uh, apparently this uh, reactionary zoo cop has his whole uh, conception of human sexuality frozen back in 1954. Hey, Barney Fife. Uh, ever heard of sapiosexual much? There's more to the spectrum of human courtship than just Johnny taking Jane to the soda fountain, splitting a malt now, Barney Fife. You can be sapiosexual now, and that's what I am, and that's what. Look it up. It's on. Look it up. It's on Wikipedia. And check it out, because it's real, and I admit. I'm doing it, and wow, gosh, what a big, exciting world has opened up uh, before me to explore with my new sexuality. I got a, I got a hot date. Right after this podcast, I'm going on a hot date. Me and uh, this chimp are going to try to get some termites out of this termite mound and I gotta tell you folks uh, I'm not optimistic come on the holes are too small you ever seen one of these termite mounds holes are too small there's uh, there's no way we're gonna be able to get our fingers in those holes you ever seen these holes I don't think there's any way we can get these termites out of these holes on account of the holes being too small. And I gotta say, if we can't, if we can't get those, if we can't get the, at those termites, uh, this date is going to be pretty awkward. Wish me luck, and um, that's the end of the thing. 